Hello, welcome to the Rabbi Study. I'm Rabbi David, and today we'll be discussing Pesach, otherwise known in English as the holiday of Passover. Pesach is one of the holidays known as the Shalosh Regalim, the three pilgrimages, and it is one of the major and very important holidays on the Jewish calendar. Now, there are many rules around Pesach. There are different customs from different regions. And there are certain rituals and rules. So let's first discuss the preparing for Pesach. So on Pesach, one is not allowed to have in their house chametz. Chametz refers to certain types of products, bread, pasta, etc., now, some people completely get rid of it from their house. Other people put it into a cabinet that is then therefore designated for it. And there's a thing called Mechiras Chametz, where you go to the rabbi, you fill out information on a sheet, and the rabbi, as your agent, agrees to a sale with a non-Jewish person that for the period of Pesach, the non-Jew owns the food, and that if he wants or she wants at any point, that person can come and literally remove the items from your house. I mean, obviously there are rules about how to do procedures for that within the contract. And then would later have to, after the holiday is over, reimburse you for what was taken financially. If not, at the end of the day, the non-Jew signs a contract, the non-Jew on the contract, transfers everything back to the Jew. It's a conditional sale, but it is an actual legitimate sale. Now, additionally, as anyone might know, there is a thing called kidneys. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings around kidneys. Kidneys literally means legumes. Now, there are certain types of legumes that are universally held not to be permissible, on Pesach. However, the category of what's considered kidneys has expanded. Some Jewish Ashkenazim do not eat beans, rice, or corn. And there's a debate amongst Ashkenazim whether quinoa counts as kidneys or not. Some eat, some don't. Amongst Sephardim, there is a common misconception that Sephardim eat all these items. That is not correct. While all Sephardic groups do eat corn, however, some Sephardic communities do not eat rice, some Sephardic communities do not eat beans. In fact, any community that traces themselves to ancestry from Spain itself does not eat beans. And there are some Sephardic communities that do not eat rice or beans. So one should be aware of their customs if they're Sephardic. The expansion of the rules of Kitneos happened in the early medieval period. It was actually a Sephardic rabbi known as the Abu Draham, who was the one who created the prohibition on beans. Remember, people need to understand, in Judaism, we cannot permit what's been forbidden, but we can forbid things if it's for the purpose of preventing people from coming to sin. So in the Spanish communities, he initiated something which was accepted by all of them to ban beans. The reason had to do with that bean flour was being confused for wheat flour, and there were problems on Pesach. 
So the Abudraham came with, up with the solution of simply getting all the other rabbis to agree for their communities to outlaw beans. In some communities, this was adapted to rice or other things. Ashkenazim took it, you know, several steps further and took it a lot more stringent. It's now to be understood is that people should be aware of their customs and consult their rabbi. There are many, many other things with chametz, for instance, uh, one's supposed to remove the chametz from their house. And there is a thing on Arab Pesach, the Passover Eve, called Bir Chametz, where people go to usually a bonfire or something and they burn their chametz. There are all sorts of rules regarding, for instance, with agriculture, pets, etc., which should people should consult their local rabbi. Now, as for cleaning for Pesach, to make sure there's no chametz, there is a wide variety of things. For instance, one should clean their house, scrub things down, pots and pans, they should have a separate Pesach set. If they don't, there are ways to do kosherizing. There are instructions online. Now, there's, a, there's various certain types of counters have to be covered up because they can't be kosherized. There are debates over what can and cannot be, which is why I will say leave it up to asking your local Orthodox rabbi if you wish to look better. There's a great guide from the Orthodox Union, another one from Chabad. There's a guide from Esha Torah, guide from the Star K, and a guide from the CRC in Chicago. There are many wonderful guides and that one can rely on. However, one is required on the night before Pesach, which would be Thursday night this year. In quality searching for the chametz, we hide 10 pieces of bread around the house to encourage us to search. And we find them, but at the same time, we also search all the rooms and look around. Traditionally, it was done with a candle. Today, for safety, you find the first piece with the candle after you make the blessing blow out the candle, and then use a flashlight for the rest for safety. That is what the general consensus amongst rabbis. There are some that say it has to be an incandescent bulb flashlight rather than a LED because it's an actual burning filament like a fire. One should ask the local orthodox rabbi, or you could still find filament-based flashlights. Therefore, people should do the search. Now, Beginning of the search, you cite the blessing, So you're searching for the removal. Then the next, then you make a blessing afterwards. And then you make a blessing the morning of Passover Eve. When you uh, burn it. And the after-blessing is called Kohamira, where you're saying that all chametz that is still in the house is uh, made uh, free for anyone to take, excluding the stuff that you had designated for sale. And that people, you should make sure it's completely moved out of your house before a certain point on Passover morning, and that time changes every year. Many of the major Jewish organizations, like Chabad or... OU or others 
they will provide the information of when to of when the tent deadlines are. Now if you find Chametz in your house on the Yom Tov itself, if it's on you should wait till Chal night and burn it. You're not supposed because you're not allowed to hand it on the regular days of Yom Tov. But on Chal night, take it out and destroy it. Now there's various different types of things as to like, for instance, if there's a chametz thing contained in soap or suds, does that have to be? There are those who say yes, those who say no. What about things like toothpaste? Does toothpaste count because it's not something eaten, etc.? And those are up for debate, which you should leave up to asking a local Orthodox rabbi or following one of the wonderful guides from the various major organizations that I listed earlier. Now, the cleaning for Pesach is a very important part of the holiday simply because you want to make sure you have as we say a chag kosher mesameach so making sure kitneos items don't need to be sold they just need to be put away one should wipe down their refrigerators wipe down counters wipe down ovens if one has an oven uh, wipe it down and put it on self-clean mode if one's oven doesn't have self-clean mode there are ways to properly clean it, such as involving blowtorches. Uh, it's a bit dangerous. Uh, one should contact a local rabbi because there are debates over how to do that. Same thing if one needs to kosherize other items. But some countertops like granite can be kosherized with uh, water boiling at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the boiling temperature. Pour it over the surface, super scalding hot. If it's a... Uh, if it's other types of countertops, then many people put covers on them. Many people line their refrigerators with various types of lining. You want to make sure the house is properly cleaned for Pesach. So now that we've discussed the preparations, essentially do a heavy, deep clean of your house, particularly the dining room, kitchen, any room where you carry food, particularly the kitchen. Just do a really deep industrial type cleaning. Think of it as a spring cleaning, essentially. Now for matzos. There is an ancient custom that on Erev Pesach to bake matzos, though they're right before the Seder. That's fine. However, most people are, you know, buying them made before, which is also perfectly fine. There are different types of matzos. There are hand matzos and machine matzos, and there are different standards and grades based on not just the quality of the matzahs, but which religious stringencies are followed. One should follow one that uh, meets their personal standards and stringencies. In regard to machine versus hand matzah, mo uh, there's a debate. For instance, uh, Hasidic Jews, Hasidim, state that for the Seder itself, one is only valid the mitzvah of matzah if one uses hand matzah because an important part of it is where is the blessing over the matzah and it says that the matzah is supposed to be done with the intention of being for the mitzvah of the matzah and that machine stuff only used for regular until about 15 years ago when the only oat matzahs were machine and not hand or chassidim they said if one has no other option 
then they could use machine. So for celiacs and people with gluten allergies, oat matzahs by machine were used. Today they have hand. However, the Rishami community, the ancient Jerusalemite community, which while they wear the strimals like Hasidim, they wear those golden white striped kaftans on uh, Shabbos and the holidays. The Yerushalmi community says specifically, machine matzah is better than hand. Why? Because hand matzahs are inconsistent and run the risk of potential flower pockets or other issues. Today, it's not as much as years ago because we have better equipment for hand rolling, but they still hold that the machine creates a level of consistency and perfection. And they say that the person who turns on the button for the motor has intention and that's all that's needed. Amongst non the rest of the Jewish community, there's a debate. Some, when the machine matzahs came around in the 1800s, some said that there was no difference between machine and hand, and others said hand is preferred, but machine is okay. Now matzah also has this just a flour and water mix. What about egg matzahs? It's called matzah ashira. Most Jewish sources say matzah shira is not valid for the Seder, unless someone has a digestive issue that requires them to only eat that. So so with certain digestive issues, egg matzahs would be fine, but one should not use it for the Seder because it's an extreme minority position that says it's valid for non-medical related reasons. And that people should be aware of that. But there is quite a lot to uh, do it, and it's quite fascinating. So now that we've discussed the basics of matzah and the basics of the Sally of the Hamids, I could, if there's interest, go into a much longer video, uh, audio recording, of the, it's about the sale of the matzahs, including how the details of how it's done, but for instance, there are special laws when Passover Eve, Erev Pesach, occurs on Shabbos, in which case there are various things that are done earlier. But let's, before we go into that, discuss that Erev Pesach. There is a thing called Fast of the Firstborns. Because the firstborns of Egypt died during the 10th plague, but the Jewish firstborns were saved. Therefore, they're required to fast on the Pesach Eve. So there is a way to get around it. If one attends, if a firstborn attends a seal, that is a celebration over the completion of a religious significance like a tractate of Talmud, they, could, they don't have to fast after they, after they hear there's a celebratory meal, though many places it's sometimes just cookies and Jews, but something they could join in the celebration and then once that fast period's ended, it's gone for the whole day. Now, firstborn male is universally agreed upon. There is an opinion that is cited in the Mishnah Brura and some other writings that discuss that there are communities where they even said firstborn women fast. And there's all kinds of things as to what does a firstborn woman do? And it's quite a uh, fascinating 
quite a fascinating uh, series of events. And but essentially is is you come, you make a meal, etc. But the firstborn woman thing is an extreme minority opinion and one that most people don't rely on. Now, what do we in Pesach Eve? There's another thing that one should not work after the halfway point between sunup and sundown to focus on preparing. There's an old custom that one should study the laws of Passover on the eve to prepare. There's also a custom that some have to take a nap to ensure one can stay up the whole night. There's a custom that some have to eat a celebratory meal on the afternoon so they're not hungry for the Seder. However, one should not eat a full meal so one still has an appetite for the Seder, but it's to tie them over so they're not coming into the Seder starving. However, by a certain point in the afternoon, one shouldn't eat. Now, if what happens when it falls out on Shabbos, the Yerif Pesach, the first word fast is Thursday, which is the same day they do the search for the Chametz. One should be very careful that Shabbos not to cook anything Chametz, and for the Motsi blessing, should you do it in a way that prevents crumbs. Some people will do it outside their house. Some people will do it on a special cloth. There are special things done in the service, but that is its own thing. Now, there are also other laws. Now, on Arab Pesach, there's a thing now called preparing for the Seder. Now, it says one should do their best to have choice wine. If one can't have wine, the general consensus, with a few minor exceptions in opinion, is that grape juice is considered valid, particularly for those who can't have alcohol for various reasons. Ideally, it should be wine, but there are those that say grape, but the majority opinion is, is that grape juice is acceptable. It's an extreme minority that it isn't. It says one should use choice wine, the best that they could get within their price range. The Talmud says that one should have red wine, unless there is a white wine that is considered of a higher kosher standard or of a higher quality. Then one should use the white, but red is considered ideal. There are various reasons behind that. However, in medieval Europe, many Jewish communities had a ban on red wine because of the accusation of the blood libel. Therefore, they didn't want anything red at their Seder. But the reason why the red wine is is from basically the verse in Proverbs 23.31. So, one should have the wine prepared. By the way, one should have their table set for the Seder before uh, nightfall. Then, for Karpas, there are various different uh, customs, what to use for that. So for preparing, there are some who use parsley, some who use celery, some who use radishes, some that use potato, Karpas, some who use cucumber. As for Karpas, it's customary based on regions, but it's the first thing that's during the Seder. We'll get to that part later. 
And for marar, which is bitter herbs, many people use romaine or endive, particularly romaine, the stalk is really where it's bitter. But many of these aspects are brought in because it's bitter herbs. There's a custom in many communities that they use horseradish. Well, not technically an herb. It falls under that general classification. And a lot of people actually use a rough chop or rough grate. It's extremely potent. I do not use that. But many people use a type of lettuce. And the stem, and because the stems are bitter, there are also people who use wormwood, which is a type of herb. There are various types of use the one should eat a volume called a kazayas, which would be enough to fill a container that is designed to hold. Depending on who's which opinion one goes by, the lenient one is. 0.97 fluid ounces. The most stringent is 1.7 fluid ounces. And the middle one is 1.5 fluid ounces, or 23.64 milliliters, 50 milliliters, and 44.29 milliliters, respectively. So a, the, a vessel that could hold that amount of liquid, how much, if you scrunched up this thing, would you be able to fit in there? And that is the amount. Now there is the charosis, which is supposed to have a thick consistency to remind us of mortar. It's made from a variety of things. So in different regions, what it's made from, usually it's there should be a fruit base. So some communities use a fig based, <clears throat> some use an apple base, some use a date based, some use a some use pomegranate base, and. These things actually have biblical, for instance, <coughs> figs come from Song of Songs 1213. Then dates come from 7-9 in Song of Songs, pomegranate from 6-7, apple from 8-5. Some people actually use a blend of all of these. It's also a common to put in ground nuts. So a lot of people use like walnuts. Obviously, so it's a nut allergy, don't. Nuts also come from Song of Songs. And some people actually use almonds as the nut. There's a lot of different ones. And once you put spices in it, that things such as, and there's some, so you use cinnamon, some use ginger. They shouldn't be, and the reason for cinnamon and ginger are is they look like straw, which was used in the making of the mortar in ancient Mitzrayim during the slavery period. That one, the way it's cut. Some people, then there's a quite a common for people to add in wine or vinegar into the charosis. Some add in salt water. There are many different customs depending on the region. One could buy these pre-made at the standard Jewish grocery store. However, one can make their own and there's so many fascinating ways to explore it by looking at the different customs from around the world and blending. But many people make their own standard. My family has an old, old recipe, generations old, involving apples. It's an apple base, but, you know, everyone should make their own. Now, since there's no more temple, like in their time of the temple, they would put a piece of the carbon Pesach on the Seder plate. However, today, 
and a piece of the carbon chagiga, which is the which is an offering given by all the festivals. So to remember the carbon chagiga, we use an egg, and it should be roasted. And they so you take a hard boiled egg and then you roast it till it's charred on the outside. And for the carbon pesach, ideally one should use the shank bone of a lamb. If one can't roast the shank bone of a lamb, and you don't have to have meat on it because it's not something you eat. You throw it out after the seder, left in, in live in Israel after the the one night of sedarim. If you live outside of Israel, you have two seders. So after the second one, it's not to be eaten. Just plain old roasted and put on there, usually just a bone. So, roasting properly, you get a nice char through. One can't get that, one should use another bone from a lamb, one can't get from a lamb, one should use something else. It's quite common in many places for people various times to use chicken bones of various kinds, many people do today. However, today it is quite easy to get lamb shank bones. Now, and this is to prepare that for the Seder. Now, there is a minority custom that says that you could add it into a food on the second day and eat it, but most don't. Some only say for the egg, some say for the shank bone, but most don't for the shank bone. And you should prepare the whole table and have this Seder plate set. There are several different customs for how to set the Seder plate. However, one of and however, the one of the most common, it goes in the circle, starting, you know, starting at say on a coffee one or two o'clock. There we go. Shank bone. Arosas, Mara for Korich, Karpas, Mara, Egg, and that kind of circle. There are other customs. And perhaps later in part two, when discussing the actual Seder, we will go into more uh, option, more of the different customs. Now, in different countries, there are different customs of special garb served by the Seder. For instance, Jews of Central Asia have these ornamental robes. The general custom on Ashkenaz is to wear the kittel, which is the white robe worn on Yom Kippur. Except for a person who's in the year of mourning or someone in the first year of getting married. And we specially prepare for the Seder. Now, I think the Seder on its own will take its own whole recording. And I will have that up soon. And it's quite fascinating understand all that but essentially one should also prepare foods for the seder before and since one can't cook on the first day of yom tov for the second day one can't cook till after nightfall on the second day that one should prepare or at least par cook the food before yom tov so they'll have it ready for the seder on the second night one should cook delicacies however we do not eat roasted meats and many have a custom not to eat lamb at all in any form. Particularly with roasted meats, it applies to a variety.
Now, pot roast is not what we mean because it's submerged in liquid. Roasting is generally as dry. Braised meats are a little different because it has to be a sufficient amount of liquid that it's not considered dry roasting. There are various customs regarding this, and there are many customary foods that people have to eat at the Seder, and that people in their own customs should follow those things. It's quite fascinating, the different customs of what to eat at the Seder. Essentially, that is the essence of preparing for the Seder. Now, we want you to also have enough wine for the four cups, because that is a very important part. Now, one should also have the prepared salt water for the Seder, because there's dipping in salt water. One should also prepare uh, various nice uh, decorations for the table, like flowers is a quite a common, but many people have other things to beautify the table. One doesn't have to. Also for the candles, for the Seder, one should use extremely long candles that will last a whole Seder ideally, or at least a significant portion of it. Um, in a year, like the year I'm recording this, where the Seder is on Friday night, one also should make sure to do the Shabbos prep because the Shabbos and the Seder run together. And I will explain later. Um, yeah, how that would go. And now to remember, lastly, for on Arab Pesach, only the first third of the day can one still eat chametz. After that, one is not allowed to eat any more chametz. And the fast of the firstborn also applies to, a, to someone who's a firstborn of either parent, meaning if someone's the firstborn of the father but not the mother, or firstborn of the mother, not the father, they still fast. And that should be remembered. And lastly, one should be very careful in how they conduct themselves on Erev Pesach to make sure that they are properly ready for the Seder. And next time we will go into the details of the Seder and its entirety. It's quite fascinating. Uh, go through various customs and try to make sure that one properly understands. And last note, ideally the wine one gets. It should be the best quality wine available. There are various customs as to what that entails and one should consult their local rabbi about that because there are many different unique situations that could apply different ways as to what's more considered a hush of wine or distinguished. For instance, if someone's, as we mentioned with the white and the red, someone has a $10 red bottle and say and a $150 Sautinier, I think that's how I pronounce it, fancy French white wine, obviously the white wine is superior. You have two $10 bottles of wine or two $50 bottles of wine, one red, one white, we go with the red, ideally. Um, so, this is a good primer for uh, Eid Pesach. I will next time go through the entire Seder and its instructions. And lastly, when it comes to the burning of the chametz, there is a blessing that's said when you take the 10 pieces of bread and put into the burning. And then one should also dispose of other chametz they have on them 
that they haven't sold or if they don't sell. Or some people put them off in public dumpsters that are designed, that are brought in for this thing on Pesach. Because that's the clearing. Uh, the other Chametavker. You only have to burn at a minimum of the 10 pieces you hid and found. Now in a case of a year, like for instance during the first year of COVID, when there were no public burning sites, one was supposed to double wrap it, put it and put it into a public garbage can so it's completely out of their hand. That's the best way. Or other people poured bleach on it to destroy it or other things to essentially to destroy. Flush it down the toilet. There's various ways, but that should only be done if one can't use a fire. So hopefully this primer on uh, about the ever Pesach suits you and uh, educates you on it. And then we will go through the Seder and then discuss the rest of Pesach. I'm Rabbi David, and this has been the Rabbi Study.